Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the 60 Minute Meal podcast. And I am your moderator, just a guy from 215, with my team of co hosts, Nandy B, Sammy Sam from Trinbago, and Mikey D out there on the West Coast. But I'm also privileged to have my fluid panel of intellectuals. I see you. Go ahead and get situated. Quit looking at me. I hear you. I hear you. Let's get ready to make a feast of this. All our listeners, let's go. Have a seat. Get situated. Let's nibble on this. Let's do it. Let's go. Hey, 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 everybody. To the listeners out there all over the land. Welcome back to the table of the 60 Minute Meal podcast. And in the infamous words of Coach Prime, we are here, we are here, and we are here. This promises to be a meal for the ages. And I mean that literally. We have some special guests who are dining with us today. And these aren't just ordinary people at the table. Nah, not at all. These are some great men of valor. They are husbands, fathers, civil servants, veterans, entrepreneurs, and pillars of their community. Gentlemen, brothers, welcome to this episode of All Hands on Deck. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Real well. Real well. So glad you're here, man. So glad you're here. So 65% of communication is nonverbal. That is what pundits say. So therefore we do a lot of communicating with our body language, with symbols we wear, and with just the energy we give off. And I really feel that the listeners who are in our age group, as well as younger, they don't really know how men like you or like me really feel about this current day and age, because we don't really voice it enough. We'll give off body language, we'll frown, we'll double click on social media, but we won't really really give any meat and potatoes to any topic of discussion that goes on amongst young people at all, unless they truly ask for our direct input. And normally that's a family member, a mentee, or somebody you really are investing time and energy in. So that's why this space right here is definitely important for them to get to know how you think, how you feel, your outlooks on things, and just who you are in general. Before I get started, I want everybody to introduce themselves. I want to know where you at, what your name is, how old are you? Let's go around the table. Let's do it. Let's start with you, Chuck. All right. Good evening, Chuck Swinton. Um, originally from Washington, D.C., currently reside in San Antonio, Texas. 50-year-old black man, all man. Solid. I'm Mike. I'm in San Jose, California, originally from Oakland. I'm 61 years old. What else do you want to know there, P? That's all. You good. You good. You good, Mike. You good. All praises up. My name is Anthony Russell, originally from Houston, Texas. 
45 years old, uh, born and raised here in Houston, did a 20 year career in, in the Navy and, uh, back home here at the house, uh, enjoying retirement. Nice. Keep going. Keep going. My name is Thomas. I'm originally from North Carolina, Wilmington, to be exact, poor city. Uh, currently residing in White Plains, Maryland. I'm a 45-year-old husband and father. Solid. Willie, from Virginia Beach, originally from Shreveport, Louisiana, 68 years of age, retired military and civil servant. Solid. Who else we got out there at the table? Who else we got down at the bottom of the table? Who else out there? Okay, I see somebody out there. I'm going to leave you alone for now. I'm going to leave you alone for now. Okay, gentlemen, this segment is called Tell Me What You See. So this is for each of you. I'm going to give each of you about three to four minutes to tell me what you see. Myself and the listeners truly want to know what the state of what's going on in this world. How do you view this world that we live in through your lens? I'm going to start with you, Willie. Yeah, I view the world, I'm going to go, a lot of people have no responsibility for civil duties. When I was in high school, we had civics. People do not want to serve in the military. A lot of the young guys, they want things quick and fast, which has a high risk to it. If it's that quick and you're not a sports player uh, entertainer, you can lose it just as fast as you got it. And the high risk is either come with death, being robbed by somebody, or you robbing somebody. Uh, and I say to myself, a lot of profession, they don't teach financial responsibility. Most doctors work until they 80, 90 years of age. They have no financial responsibility. They make money, they spend money. The entertainers and professional sport people do the same. No one teach them how to manage their money, and they end up broke. Passing it on. Okay, okay, Mikey, Mikey D. Talk to me. What say you? I look at the generations now, and there's a lot of things I like about them. I think they're very open minded. I'll give you an example. So you have a lot of interracial relationships, same-sex marriages and such, right? So they're very open and accepting to other people. The glitch in that is that they don't have, they don't have a standard. Any, they are accepting of everything, but anything goes. There's no, they don't have de quote unquote deal breakers where no, that's not acceptable. So while they're very accepting and embracing of people's lifestyles, there's no standard for what is a a, a, a a no. I just leave it at that for right now. Okay, okay. I appreciate that. I truly appreciate that. Thomas, what you got? Yeah, so I think most people, like myself, I view the world and operating space in which I'm operating in, right? Like, my view is my view. Uh, we are oblivious to a lot of things that that we used to grow up doing and that, that we're seeing now, like if I don't pay attention to the news, I have no idea what's going on. So that's not where I'm operating at. That's how I view the world. 
uh, today's generations or all generations, we all think we're the toughest, right? Like my generation is the last of the tough generations. My generation is the last of the best generations. And generation four, like you guys have no idea. Generations coming after us, like you guys are oblivious. So I think everybody's operating in their own space. And that's kind of how you view what's going on in your world. Got you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we definitely are operating in our own spaces. We definitely are being a bit much selfish. But Chuck Swinton, give me what you got. Okay. Um, you can go so many different ways with this question, man. Great question. But what I decided I want to throw out there is I think so many of us choose not to realize or pay attention to the fact that every single person in this world is different. And um, by that, I mean, everybody's perspective and everybody's ideas come from what they've been shaped by and everything they've been through in life. So if you were raised in one area by one family, well, I go I go opposite. You were raised by one set of parents that belong to one family in one city, one state. Every level that you move up dictates how you see life. So if we realize that your background dictates your perspective or your feelings or your reactions to certain things, it'll make us more tolerable to somebody's differences. So if I see, like we grew up, a lot of us grew up in a big city or whatever, and you crossing the street, you might be 10 years old, you crossing a busy highway, you know how to cross the highway. You ain't even thinking. It's reaction. It's like playing Frogger back in the day. It's just reaction. But nowadays, we drive our kids everywhere they've ever been their whole life. They never had to walk 15, 30 minutes to school, elementary, middle school, whatever. So they don't see life the way we do. They don't know what danger is that we recognize as danger. They don't see things the way we saw them. So communication has to be different. So, and I'm I know I'm all over the place, but the bottom line is everybody is different. So if you realize, oh, my God, I'm mad at this that's going on in the world. But the person next to me, why they don't see the same thing I see? Y'all just ignorant. Y'all just racist. Or y'all this or y'all that. It's not that. It's just their, how they were raised is different. So I'm going to stop there. I can go on forever on that one, but I'm going to stop right there. Okay. Hey, thank you, Chuck. Hey, Chuck, that great perspective, man. Great perspective. Anthony. I'm coming to you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, and this is my view on the world and really concerning us as a people, uh, so-called black people, man. I view us as a degenerate plant, you know, that uh, morally in society, we on the decline. And when I say degenerate, you know, when you look at the definition of degenerate, having lost the physical, mental, or moral qualities considered normal and desirable. So we were once, us as a people, when you kind of study us in the 40s and 50s, when we had a sense of family and, uh, you know, it was more home training and it was a two-parent home and fathers was in the home. It's been a big disconnect in this generation of young people between uh, 17 to 30 on how they communicate their morals, their standards, the home training is not there. Uh, so how you communicate with these younger adults is going to be a little bit different. And with social media influence, 
and they access the information is much different than our generation. So, is that good uh, or bad, though? Well, I'm, uh, let me gather all my thoughts, because first I want to just finish communicating my viewpoint. Uh, if it's good or bad, in, in my personal opinion, uh, the access to information is good, but how you process that information and how do you, it's so much propaganda on social media. So if one doesn't have a discernment for truth, he can be misled by all the information on social media that's presented. Uh, for example, during our parents' time frame, if they wanted to learn something, they would have to go to the library. The library is open Monday through Friday. They don't have a, smell, a cell phone or a smartphone where they have access to information. They can Google it right there in their bed. So how information is passed is much quicker and they don't have a sense of value of the older, wiser, the old, older of us in our community that can give certain guidance and uh, the wisdom to pass along. You know, just because you got a lot of information, you may not have the wisdom to discern and how to use that. And then given that they are that degenerate plant, uh, how the young ladies, they have this, uh, you know, this the rap music. Little Kim birthed all those girls that uh, you see now, your Megan Thee Stallions and Gorilla. So I view us as a society, as a degenerate plant. And I look at the brothers in this forum when they introduce themselves, uh, the quality of men I'm speaking with. And I look at the younger generation and I just don't see it. I see them on a moral decline. So uh, <clears throat> just like Chuck said, man, I can go on and on, but I'm going to just stop right there. And uh, if he poses the question, if it's good or bad, I'll, I'll address that then. But that's my view on the world and society in particular us. And I, I, I don't want, I love us. I don't want to go too hard on us. I don't, everything I said is out of love. I don't want you to think I'm coming from an evil place or anything like that. Right, right. I appreciate that, man. I, hey, man, that's that's quite a phrase today. A degenerative plant. I'm gonna have to use that, man. Cause, uh, <laughs> damn. Thank you for that, Anthony. Thank you. We are getting to the next segment. This segment is called Reflections, and this is how we get to know you, men of valor. So here's another question I have that myself as well as the listeners would love to know. As hard as you've had to grind, the stress and strain it took for you to attain the goals and and accomplishments which you've gathered, what is something most people do not know about you? I'm gonna start with you, Chuck. Okay, let me make sure my mic. Yeah, my my mic sound nice. Check one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So um. Again, man, um, I I go with the shame, you know, the shame I used to hold when I was younger. Um, growing up in D.C. in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, um, the drug epidemic. Um, Lem Byers was a close family friend, like close, close family friend. Oh, wow. I was, you know, so my grandmother was like a grandmother to him. And uh, my uncle was an All-American point guard. So that's how I got introduced to all the ballers in the area, Patrick Ewing, all them dudes, man. But I didn't realize how deep they were involved in drugs until I got older and rose-colored glasses came off. I thought when Lenny died of coke, oh, that's not possible. Who drugged him? I didn't know that's what they were doing all the time. So 
bringing it home though, how it affected me. My father was always substance abusing, alcohol abusing. I didn't even see him. You know, he lived in Maryland, right outside of DC, and I didn't see him, you know, that often. When I turned middle school, I was always good at math, but um middle school I got entered in a nationwide math contest and I won first place. Tight. And I didn't know it was a God-given talent. I just thought I was a nerd. I played ball, football, basketball, good at math, like Hollywood girls. I'm like, oh, man. So 167,000 participants, I came in first place. Now everybody want to make a big deal out of me. But it wasn't as big as if I played ball on that level. So now speed past that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a mathematician. I'm going to be rich. That's what I thought until my mom fell victim to crack addiction. Oh, I was 14. Wow. wow. So 14, man, what people don't know is the shame I, I developed from that. I ain't want to talk to nobody. From seeing my mom being a single parent, cracking the whip like everybody else's mom, get your ass in the house, do this homework. You know, she out to work before we leave to go to school. We come home from school before she get home from work, blah, blah, blah. Um, and next thing you know, I'm just seeing my mom in the streets and coming home later and later locked in the room seeing her in some compromised positions with people I play ball with. And the shame that I carry with that man, I left I left home when I was 14. Wow. So I went from all this promise. So um, now I'm 14 and I'm homeless. So I'm like, man. So I couldn't tell nobody. I still went to school. Nobody knew I was living house to house or sometimes living in buildings or whatever, you know, just different things like that. Right. But I just knew I wanted to be successful still, but um, like once a month, man, maybe like twice a month, I would have to go somewhere real secluded and cry so loud, man, when nobody could hear me, just to release an event. And that's what kept me going. Basketball, hip hop, and crying. That's what kept me moving. And um had a daughter when I was 16, because I ain't know, I ain't know nothing. You just living life as best you can. Right. Now her mom, I got her pregnant. Her mom is not as smart as I am. So what I do, all the other dudes in D.C., whatever, girl get pregnant, oh, she got to drop out of school. Nah. I'm like, I don't want to be like my father. I got to be stand-up. I drop out of school thinking I'm going to let her mom stay in school. And then she started cheating on me with a dude who was selling drugs. Wow. So every term, man, drugs just kept on slapping me in the face, forehand, right. backhand. And, um, what saved my life is I'm playing ball one day. I'm 18, 19, playing 18, 19, playing ball with a dude that was in the Navy. Okay. And um, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, I thought you had to be a certain type of physique or whatever to be in the military. I'm going downtown DC taking all these tests, trying to get a job. They like, you smart, but you don't have experience. You don't have experience. So he he showed me an example of what I needed at that time. I went and talked to a recruiter, changed my life, man. So I got out of I got outside of my box where I said everybody different. I got outside of my box. And that's what allowed me to really expand and grow. When I stopped being around people from Shreveport, being around people from Houston, being around people from Cali, white dudes. I ain't seen no white dudes in Chocolate City. So I was never going to be as big as I was if I left my box. So I'm gonna leave it right there, man. But um, so that's something that not too many people know about me. Most people on social media that I grew up with, they like, you ain't graduate? We ain't know. You had a child when you did? We ain't know. They ain't know what happened to him. Wow, man. Chuck, I appreciate your candor, brother. Man, I mean, thank you so much. You 
you spoke some life into me about how you are an overcomer. It took a while before I got every, there, bro. You had every obstacle against you for you to be the antithesis of who you are today. Amen. But yet and still, you are who you are today. I think um, I think John Bryant, the famous quote was, if not for my failures, I would be a failure. Yeah. Ooh, that's real. That's you know real, what I'm saying? bro. That's you real right me? there. You know what I'm saying? If that's not for real. my failures, I would be a failure. So, brother, you are a success, a walking success. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I know you, Chuck. Straight up. Amen. Same. Yes. Vice versa, baby. Yes. Now, this is for you, Willie. Yeah. yeah. For me, coming in the Navy, my goal was to make Master Chief in 16 years. I missed it by a couple of years. But based on all information I know, I was the first Black Master Chief in the dispersing field in the Navy. And as when I made Master Chief, actually when I made Chief, I made a commitment to myself. I would not see anyone or let anyone disrespect, demeanor, or degrade any person under my charge, especially my black brothers. And I don't really want to talk about one brother I met when I was <laughs> teaching a school, but with that guy. That would be me. That would be me. <laughs> and young wanted to kick him out of the Navy. Him along with Morris. That was her goal to get them out the Navy. And my goal was they're not going anywhere. They're going to stay in the Navy. And that guy, I know he hates me to a certain degree. I ended up being on the same ship with him. And I think his word was, oh, my God, what happened here? But he was one of my better clerks on the ship. And I remember this. You may not remember this. The date of his transfer was on a payday. And that guy worked about 1800 that day. And most people on transfer day, they want to leave at 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. And we still talk today. That's about it for me. Nothing was really that hard coming up through the ranks, but uh, dealing with a lot of people going to the meetings, all eyes was on me. Were you a promiscuous black man? Uh, how could I get to you to take you down? Like I said, taking black people down was something I was not gonna stand for. And I've had many fights with senior people, but hey, it is what it is. You can take me down, but you're not going to take my people down. I'm passing it on. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Master Chief Jones. I appreciate that. And moving on, well, I'll get to you at the end of this, um, at the end of this meal. Mikey D, what say you? So let's see. I'm an only child of an only child. So I used to live in my life for a long time, right? There was, I lived like in, a, in this perfect square. It was me, my mom, my grandmother, and my grandfather. There would be weekends that we would go over to their house, say on Friday, 
and stay in pajamas the whole weekend and play Monopoly and all of this stuff, right? And I was a quote unquote mama's boy. My parents got divorced when I was five years old. My father, he was a <laughs> he was a computer technician, right? He was a GS9. This is in 1967, right? And one day, this he used to play, he would shoot dice with his friends and play cards and stuff. But one day this guy took him to the racetrack. And as fate would have it, he won $300. So he decided that he could better take care of his family betting on horses than he could going to work and quit his job. My mom was an RN, so she was able to hold things together. And she said, okay, this is just a temporary, he didn't have a mental breakdown for a minute here, right? He, he'll come out of his whatever trauma he done went through, right? This kind of crazy thinking. And they stayed together for a while. Well, after one year when he didn't get a job, he'd go back to his job. My mother said, well, I only gave birth to one child. I'm not raising two. And, and they got divorced, right? So it was just the four of us. But my father stayed, he stayed in, because I'm from Oakland, he stayed in Oakland all this time, right? And for years, right, he, I used to play baseball. I was pretty good at playing baseball. I was a good pitcher. But he would come, he would come to my games when I was in high school and stuff. And he would, the coaches would, would credit me. He would pick apart what I did, right? He find, he, if somebody got one hit in the game, he figured out why I should have thrown a no-hitter, for an example, right? I couldn't get, and I strove for years. I tried to get his acceptance, his credit, right? I used to get, my mother used to buy, for a while I would get Christmas and birthday presents and it would be some dad, right? But really, mom had bought it and was signing his name. And then after a while, she said, you know what, this is crazy. I'm gonna, and she told me this when I became an adult, that I, I can't do that. I need you to know who truly he is, right? So my mother, so in 1989, I, I had went into the Navy. I came back, I was stationed in Oakland in 1986. In 89, my mom got real sick. She got she had got lung cancer, right? And so I was here, I was staying at home in Oakland. My father was still in Oakland. We're take, I'm taking care of my mom. And one day he came by my apartment where she was staying with me, right? He's like, no, now it was common knowledge that she had this disease. He's like, man, you lost a lot of weight. I'm like, are are, are you kidding me? She she has lung cancers yes of course people lose weight when they have this disease but it was it was so cold and it was so just just disingenuous just mean-spirited right i'm like wow who are, who are you man that you would be better off saying nothing right right than to make this kind of comment because from the time that i was five years old i was 27 years old at that time it had always been me and my mom but he stayed he in his thought process he stayed in oakland to be with his son, but he did, but he was not ever a positive presence in my life. So my mother died. I ended up going into, I went, I was in the Navy at the time. And I ended up getting stationed in Japan. I got, he contacted the ship, right? <laughs> he contacted the USS Midway 
to, to and contacted my commanding officer to, to and, and painted the picture that his son had abandoned him and that out that he was such in need of of communication with me, blah 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 blah. So they contact they told me this right. So I wrote I gave gave him the information that they wanted. And he wrote, he got, he wrote me this letter, right? Line three of the letter, right? I need a thousand dollars. Oh wow, wow. <laughs> I was like, wow. right, right. You this urgency to get in communication with your son who you don't want to have that you've never really tried to have any positive relationship with, right? Right. But in the third line of it, so I'm like, okay, but my my mom, she she was the most impactful presence in my life, right? And so she always told me, don't treat people the way they treat you. Treat people the way you want to be treated, right? So I'm like, okay, he's still my father. So fast forward, I got married, had had two daughters, and we we're in San Diego and stuff, right? Like I said, my father, he was a man of his word. From the time he quit, he vowed that he would never work again. And until he died, he never worked again. Oh, he wow. went right. Oh, yeah. He was he he was true to his word. So he quote unquote retired from rape from gambling, right? Okay. Went back to went back to South Carolina, where his 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 where he was from, right? On his way out. He came by San Diego to see me and my daughters, and he had won some money or something. And so he took my daughters and bought a, a swing set for them. I'm like, okay. Right. And I told him, I said, the one thing, I, I have no problem with you having a relationship with your granddaughters, right? The one, you can have the relationship with them that you never had with me as a son, right? Mm-hmm. But the one thing you can't do, you can't run in and out of their lives because they, because they will be... If, Either they're going to know that grandpa is around or he's not, right? Right. So he came, so he went to South Carolina six months later, right? He came out of retirement, if you will, and came back, and came <laughs> back to California and came and, and on his, because he was going back to Los Angeles to go up to, to, to Hollywood Park, to the racetrack, right? His, this mobile home that he had, fell apart because that was that was his sole source of survival right he came by he came and stayed with me for for three months in san diego right in navy housing right i was going out to see if we were having this one week debt right he got into and he became confrontational with my wife talking about this is my son and so i'm like no 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 no, you can't do this right i said i tell you all this to say that the thing that people don't know about me, right, is that I'm tolerant of people until you make me not be able to tolerate you. You can't, you can't, I have deal breakers. Well, once I realize that you don't have my best interest at heart, I'm done. And he yeah. reached that point, right? Right. My uncle died. He called me up. He, my, he didn't like my mother's side of the family and they didn't like him. So it was a mutual dislike, right? Okay. But he but my uncle had died. I came up to Oakland for the funeral and everything, right? He called me and had left all these messages on my phone. So he called me collect from from the racetrack drunk, right? Mm. And started mm. cussing me out because I wasn't at home to receive his phone call. I said, Well, my uncle died. Why are you telling him about me? I'm like, What? You know, and I'm like, I, I I'm done. I just leave it at that for now. 
Okay, okay. I appreciate that, Mikey D. That was quite a trip down memory lane. We went through every we we didn't stop at no red light. From childhood to yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, we, we we kept going. We kept going. But I appreciate that. Thomas, tell yeah, us something know. that most people don't know about you. I don't know if I can follow that. Uh, <laughs> that was that was pretty in-depth. Um, but I think for me, uh, like I've always, in most recent years, I've been like a fixer. I've always been able to fix problems. Like I can help people out. Like if you come to me with a problem, I can get get it get, get it together for you. But I think for me, like if you look at me from the outside looking in, it looks like I have it together. Like I'm I'm still trying to figure life out, man. Like I haven't found my thing. Um, I've been above average at pretty much everything I've done, but I still haven't found my thing. Like you know, most people, you know, seventeen. I know I'm going in the military. I know I'm you know I'm going to work as an engineer. I, I'm I know I'm going to the NFL. I'm just kind of trucking along and I'm still at that point to where I'm like, I'm good at what I do, but I don't know if I found my thing yet, you know? And, and, and as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize, I think Mike was the one that said it like tolerance. It's getting low for certain things. I'm tolerable for some things, but it's a lot far my, you know, that, that one thing that that's lighting that fire under me, I'm still trying to figure it out. So that's for me. I mean, again, if, if most people look at me, they'd be like, oh, he's he's got it together, but not so much as far as 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 far as my life. Hey, appreciate that, Thomas. Thank you for that candor and thank you for that testimony, man. I really do. I'm going to you, Anthony. What is something that most people don't know about you? Okay, uh, I'm gonna go over a little bit of my upbringing so you can see how it shaped the individual, how it shaped me. Uh, and I listened to all the brother's stories. So I grew up in the neighborhood in Canterbury Village, which is a uh, a neighborhood in South Acres in Houston. It's the black community, the hood. And I, right. I had a right. father growing up. And uh, my father was a heavy-handed man. And when he put down the instruction, if he said do and you didn't, you, you knew what to expect. He wasn't abusive, but he, he wasn't no tender, uh, cater to your feelings type man. So... If he told you wash them cars and cut the grass, you know, if he came home and that wasn't done, you, you know what to expect. So my father ruled the household. So since a young man, we followed his guidance. Now, my daddy grew up in the same neighborhood I grew up in. So just like <clears throat> my man Chuck was telling his story about the substance abuse and, and drug addiction, the street I grew up on, they sold a lot of crack. So all my partners that I grew up with, playing basketball, football, baseball in the neighborhood because we had Pop Warner at the park and stuff. And uh, they eventually started selling dope. So I, we'd be outside hooping late at night at the park, crackheads come up buying drugs. So as a teenager, <clears throat> I saw the substance abuse. Now, when you're a child, you don't really process certain things about your parents and the environment you grew up in until you get older. Right. So... Uh, I remember standing out there with my partners and watching some of the crackheads and you would see them over the course of weeks in the summer. You, you, you kind of knew them. You spoke to them. You know, they was a part of the community and you could see them. That that stronghold that that shit had on them. So as a young man, I told myself, man, I would never fuck with nothing like that. Excuse my language. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I see what it's, what it's doing to you. And then I, I know the, the Negroes that sell it. And I was even tempted to get out there because I used to shoot dice at the park. After we finished hooping, we gambling at the park. And so, you know, uh, 
your partner may have two, three thousand dollars. And I was working at McDonald's and you know, I, I love shooting dice and gambling and things. And uh I say, man, damn, he getting it like that. So thank God I, I joined the Navy because just like uh my man said when he was hooping, he thought you gotta have a certain physique or or something to join. The recruiter came to the high school during gym, man. He was a short, fat sailor, man. And <laughs> I, I seen him when he got out the uh when he got out his car, uh, he was short and fat. And I was thinking, this was my literally my thought. Cause I thought in the military, you know, you had to be like you on watch, on guard. In my mind, I said, man, if he can do it, I could do it. That's what I told myself as an 18-year-old. So right. I went on off into the Navy now. My, my mother and father was everyday working people. They didn't have the means to send me a college and nothing like that, and nor did I want to go. But my old man, like I said, he grew up in, in Sunnyside, so he was like, boy, what, what you want to do that for? Going going uh, George Bush's service and all this other stuff. But knowing that they didn't have much to offer me anyway. Right. So uh, nonetheless, bro, I joined, and I thank God for people like Mr. Jones who said he look out for young brothers because I didn't I wasn't around any other demographic of races until I joined the Navy. I grew up in Canterbury Village, went to Booker T. Washington. All I know is black people. Right. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't meet white people, Filipinos and these other nations until I joined the military. And, and thank God I came in as a dispersing clerk because we're a small community. So. Just to have a brother like that who will look out for you and give you the guidance and mentorship along the way, that's a that's a large part on how I was able to retire. Uh, and we know our rate went away in 05 and they merged and made PSs, but I probably would be still in the Navy if the dispersing clerk rating was still around. That's how much I love being a DK. Right. So, uh, so did I. Yeah, I, I really did love everything from... Uh, Man, the the dispersing S four as far as cutting treasury checks and running payroll before they introduce direct deposit and yeah, look travel claims and TLA. I love the whole thing about yeah. being a dispersing clerk in a small yeah. community. So I don't think if I would have started with any other rating, I would even be able to retire. So long story short, when I became an adult, and I never my old man was pretty strict and pretty tough, man. So I never had no resentment for him because as an adult, I understood uh why he was a that certain type of father. A lot of young men in the neighborhood, they didn't have fathers. My now my dad would let you stay out all night. You can stay at the park and hoop all night, but you better be up going to school in the morning. Right. And chew right. his cabbage twice. If he told you to get up in the morning and he come back there, you still laying in the bed. He gonna tighten you up. So me and my brother understood <laughs> that about our father, man. And uh, you know, I'm so thankful for him. And I know my relationship with my father. Now check this out. I'm, I'm gonna lay something on you, man. I know my relationship to my father looks funny to my wife and to my son. Right. Like uh, I always try to tell him, man, that's my father. That's not my friend. It's not certain mm -hmm. things I'm going to do around him. When I still see him, I shake his hand. I love him, but that's my father. So at the core of who he is, he really just, uh, he really bought his business. And he don't right. really play around too tough. So I don't go over there and play dominoes with him, even though he played with his the dominoes with his partners his age. That ain't something I do with my dad. You know what I'm saying? I, I love him and respect him, but I, 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 uh, you know, I can just appreciate the way he raised me and my brother because 
a lot of the dudes I grew up with crashed out and, and it instilled a certain discipline in me uh, that made boot camp, a school and certain things a walk in the park, man. Right. You, you know what I mean? They weren't really uh, the type of parents. My mother ain't the, my mother a hard working country girl, man. She not the type of uh, mother that's going to baby you or talk to you kind of to cater to you. They want them type of people. They from the right. country. So uh, they going to give it to you straight. Gotcha. And, and uh, you know, they was everyday working people. My mama shoveled beans at Maxwell House Coffee for 30 years. Wow. So she get out there and wash the car and cut the grass. And she, I went by the house today to charge my boat up. I'm thinking about going fishing tomorrow. She, she was out there cutting the yard, man. So uh, wow, that's really what it is. So th all those things shaped me as a as a an individual. Hey, I thank you so much, Anthony. That. That was heavy. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to add my two cents to this. So one thing that people don't know about me is the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing I do not have a whole lot of time. So therefore, everything I'm doing now is because I don't know how much time I have to do it. And that was why I stood up this meal, this podcast, of the 60 minute meal. And it's because I don't know how much time I have and I need to leave some type of intellectual property here for my kids and for the culture. Because when I'm gone, this imprint can live on. And somebody, whether it's my kids, whether it's another discoverer, they can look at this point in time, which we're having and they can either continue this conversation or they can generate one based on the space and energy that we're creating right now. So that's why I'm living with the level of urgency because I don't feel like I have a lot of time. So therefore I must do this. My heart is in this, my soul is in this and people need it, especially since this is a healthy lane that we're in right now, brothers. You hear me? Real so talk. I truly appreciate y'all. I truly appreciate you all allotting time from your lives and giving it to this space. I can't thank y'all enough. We're going to go to another segment. This segment is called Pause for the Calls. I'm going to start with you, Thomas. How challenging is it or how difficult is it to be a man like you in this society, in this world? Uh, good question. Uh, I think what I would consider manhood is is, is far, few and far in between. Um, like the way my father raised me, the way if I had a son, I would raise my son, but how I'm raising my daughters. Um you know, we need a bit of chastising. We need that that alpha male sense a little bit. Um, I need to feel that from people. Um, but that's few and far between. Um, it's it's the level of respect when you show that you're a real male. Um, in today's society, you get looked at a certain way unless you're being looked at by a real male. Um, so it, it's tough, man. It's really tough. I mean, the 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 amount of scrutiny that you get 
for you know for being a male for being a male right. for being a real male is is just right. it's tough man and and you know it's frustrating because you look at people when they chastise you like this is a it's a non factor right now we shouldn't even be talking about this but it's tough. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Thomas. I'm gonna go to you, Willie D. Yeah. How challenging, how difficult is it to be a man like you in this society? To be a male like me in this society, I would say it's extremely easy. I'm a simple man. I don't need I don't need Rolex watches and all the fancy jewelry, the fancy cars. I'm a common man. Like I say, being from Shreveport, Louisiana, I came up, well, we had a pretty decent lifestyle in my family. We didn't suffer for much. Right. As far as that materialistic stuff, I put little value on it. Extreme, a low level value. To be a man like me, like I tell most people, your sons, you need to talk to them. Have a relationship with them. And when you're talking, you talk. You don't scream and holler at them. Uh, the girls, your daughters, to be are the most precious things out there. You have to talk to your daughters, treat them right, because if you don't do it, someone else will come into their life and take advantage of them. And that's all I tell people. You know, your girls, they're precious. Take care of them. Listen to them. Treat them right, because if you don't, some old dude or some dude would just come along, take advantage. And your son, if they can talk to you, you can run interference on many problems. Right now, my son is uh, 48 years of age. We still sit down and talk about life, things going on in the world. The daughter is 40. I still talk to her. She's married. Her husband's in the Navy. He's in the nuclear power field. And I told her, don't accept mediocres from him at any time. He need to treat you the way your mother and I treated you. And same with my granddaughter. I only have one granddaughter. And that's that's it. So. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, Pops. Appreciate that. Chuck, I'm coming to you. How challenging or difficult is it to be a man like you in this world, in this society? Okay, so I'm going to keep it quick with the light take, and then I'm going to be a little more broad with the heavy take. But um, the light take is as much as sports and athletics was important to me and my upbringing and earlier years, you know, it's real difficult for me to come to grips with my mind telling me I could do certain things on the football field or on the basketball court, but my body not being able to keep up with it. That's hard, man. These youngers out there giving it to me. But um, so that's one thing. And starting with my son, when he first beat me in the 40-yard dash, it was the most embarrassing, proud moment of my life. Well, I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so. That's that's good, man. We got to get over though, ain't it, man? Oh yeah, we God, do. Man. God graces with it. God yes. graces with it. It's yeah. a blessing and a curse. <clears throat> but um, now the heavy thing is, once I rid myself of the shame that I already mentioned earlier, 
And I realized how therapeutic, you know, black folks, we ain't like that counseling. Counseling was a bad word. Counseling. Exactly. I ain't going to talk to these white people that don't know me. Nope. This, you know? nope. But um, when I realized that actually telling my story, it's there, it, was, it was therapeutic for me. It started replacing my need to go off and seclude myself and cry. And then more people were coming to me like, oh, I didn't know this. Let me tell you something I'm going through too. And I'm like, man, it became win-win, man. And then um, then I realized, then as I started getting into my spiritual life and, and I got saved and stuff in church, I started realizing, you know, my belief, my belief and my faith tells me that that might have been my mom's purpose. So I started telling her. So it got rid of her shame from quote unquote saying, I ruined your life. You had so much. I'm like, nah, ma. If who knows if God didn't let you go through what you went through, I might have gone through it and I couldn't be who I am today. So you are the blessing. God put you on earth to do what you did because another mom probably would have died or might right. not have survived that. Your 15 year addiction now. You survived, and now all the people you could talk to about drug and drug addiction, and all the people I could talk to about what I went through. So now our tears are happy tears, man. And um, and I spend a lot, a large part of my day mentoring college and youth, college students and the youth. <clears throat> One of the most rewarding things I've done now is um, I, I retired from the Navy and started operating cranes and making stupid money, and then when I moved here. I decided to uh, drive public transportation. So now all day long, man, I'm driving high school and college kids and they talking to me about relationship issues, parent issues, life issues. And I'm like, man, this is where I supposed to be. Right. It's rewarding. It's fulfilling, man. So <clears throat> I guess with all that said, turning shame to something I'm actually proud of now, you know, right. so it's it's crazy to, to to realize the mirror match that I've been through in my life, but um, I'm extremely proud, and then I'm very selective with the people I let in my circle. So, you know, when I told my wife about this podcast, and that gave me the yes. opportunity to tell her about you, yeah, I never had a chance to talk to her about you, and I'm like, man, this is another brother that was positive, nothing but positive. Every interaction we had throughout, yes. so. And I don't want to make it seem like there's not more out there. I just want to say that I didn't keep a lot in my pocket, but I'm proud of the ones that I did keep in my pocket that I can call brothers, you know, that I can talk to about anything and go to for different things. And and glad to have you back on board, bro. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Side note, I knew Chuck's family before I knew Chuck. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I tried to push his sister into the military. <laughs> And then yeah, after meeting yeah. you after the fact, it's like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that we reconnecting once again, man. Thank you so much, Chuck. Easy. Mikey D, how difficult or challenging is it to be a man like you in this world, in this society? Well, I, I'll make this short, but I would say the lengthy story that I told you about my father and my relationship with him what it actually did for me is it showed me the kind of man and father that I did not want to be. So I took all of those 
elements of my life. And when I had children, I was able to be, I'm not perfect, far from it, but I was able to be available and supportive and, and a factor in my daughter's lives. I have a 32-year-old daughter in New York now that's calling me <laughs> with life situations. And, I, and, and I'll be on the phone with her for hours talking about things, right? And I'm like, the idea that you call me and listen to my suggestions or advice, so we go point and counterpoint on things, means that you have a great deal of respect and trust in me. So I've done something right. So that's where my, that's where my energy as a man is now. I, my, my life within itself, I had the careers. I've done all the things, the successes that I wanted for myself, right? And so I'm at peace with my total life. But watching my children go through their life and their growth and stuff, right, and being an element and a factor in it, that's, that's the success. That's the joy. That's the manhood part of it that I'm enjoying the most as far as life as a man is concerned for me. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that, Mikey D. Anthony, I'm coming to you. How challenging or difficult is it to be a man like you in this world, in this society? What say you? Well, uh, you know, I I don't find it challenging because I I walk in my integrity, in my integrity, meaning I'm going to speak stick to the morals and the morals and uh, values that I believe in. So uh, when you walk in your integrity, uh, you know, it's always obstacles, challenges, and things in life. But when you stick to your morals and values, and and uh, it, it it makes it easier. So sometimes, you know, you know, Christ told us something. He said, uh, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Right? So it's certain things in society that uh you might not uh speak up on in that particular moment or say anything in that moment, but you you stay to your core values and your morals and you walk in your integrity and your beliefs. So uh I'll give an example. Uh, we see the LGBT type community things on the rise and the influence that they have. Now, I don't believe in that and I don't want any of that in my home. That's what I believe. Now, I understand people have rights and uh, all what America has told concerning same sex marriage. I'm not in agreement with that. So if you come to ask me about it, I'm going to answer you according to what I believe. I right. don't care what type of what society's going to say. It's not going to be challenging to me because I'm going to speak about what I believe in. And uh, so I, I don't find it too much challenging if you're going to uh, stand up for what you believe when the time comes. Now, just like Christ told us, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. So when you speak about a certain thing that the world doesn't agree with and you don't really care how they view you, uh, that's why I'm really at with it. So, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We are down to our last segment, brothers, and this segment is called "Let's Chew Some Gum" because this has been a heavy meal, and we are pushing away from the table, chewing on some gum, so we can digest plenty of protein and fats that we've taken on board today. I'm going to send you all out of here on this right here. I need everybody to weigh in. 
you are exiting out of your favorite store and a younger version of you dressed just like you, he stops you for a moment and he tells you, how you doing, sir? I know you don't know me, but I'm a bit stressed out about life. And sir, if you could give me a few minutes, a few seconds and tell me some sound advice because I'm really, really at my wits end. What would you tell him? And I'm going to start off with you, Mikey D. I would tell him you got to live life on life's terms. And to me, what that means is this. We all have wants and desires and we want it to be the way that we want it to be, but that's not reality. The reality is, is that whatever the hand that's been dealt to you, you got to play it to the best of your abilities. And once you make a decision, once you do something, once you decide to invest in something, then you just put 100% in it. And then however the chips fall is how they fall. Then you go from there. But you can't sit around and beat yourself up for every mistake you made or be mad with the whole world if things don't work out the way you wanted it to. You got to just keep pushing. That's why I say you got to live life on life's terms. I like that. I like that. Willie, what you got for me, Pop? You say, what would you tell the individual? Probably wouldn't tell him anything. I want to listen to him and where he's coming from. And then based on where he's coming from, I would talk in that direction because he may have issues with his girlfriend. And I'm talking about something in life in general. I'm not hipping that individual. What is it that's really concerning him that he want to talk about? Be a listener and a feedback. Let him start the conversation and then we can go from there. I like that. I like that. I like that. Let that young man talk and let him guide us into the direction to meet him at his need with advice. I like that. I like that. Thomas, what say you? So I would tell him uh, life is going to present you with opportunities and pitfalls. You got to use the same energy to run towards your opportunities as you have to get out of those pitfalls. Same energy, same effort. Life is going to be tough, and you're going to have some sunny days, but at the end of the day, remember who you are, you'll make it. I appreciate that. Encouragement, definitely, definitely. Anthony, what say you? Uh, my answer will be somewhat uh, along the lines of Mr. Jones. You know, uh, I would more so listen to what he has to say and see what he has in uh going through, then I can be able to share my experience with him on how to best uh, navigate that situation uh, or whatever he's going to. But some just some good sound advice is, you know, like he said, it's going to be a lot of obstacles and challenges in life. And it's sometimes it's only going to be that little voice inside of you that say, get up and keep going or stick to your morals and values and what you got set out to accomplish. And, and watch the things in society that have a negative influence over your decision making. You know, so it's certain core values, again, that we have rooted deep within inside of us. And I would have to find out what that is in that young man. If he has anything uh, he's trying to accomplish and, and what he's really rooted in. So it's hard for me to speak to that question. 
I would have to listen to the young man before I gave some counsel or guidance or whatnot. Okay. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm going out with you, Chuck. I'm going out on this one with you, man. You at the plate, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded. You got it. All right. Bunch single, here I come. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. But um, I would start out with um, Lord's financial advice to be purposeful about saving 20% of your income, all income that you generate with a purpose. Um, the purpose particularly or preferably for the purpose of purchasing a home for rental purposes, ownership, get into being a landlord. And then once you get, once they catch that, uh, once you catch that uh, fever, it probably will become addictive. The fever of saving money with, for, with the purpose and then invest in, in property. Second thing would be don't be quick to marry until you get to where you want to be as a man. Um, uh -huh. You wow. can't take care of a family if you haven't learned to take care of yourself first. So you you just you just roping other people into problems. So you can't take care of someone else until you fully understand. I don't want to say fully. You never fully know how to take care of yourself, but until right. you're comfortable with taking care of yourself. So meaning I have a full grasp of how I'm saving money with the purpose. I own property. I'm happy, content. Now you can bring a woman and children into your world, not backwards. And the last thing is, um, if you ever get invited to dinner by Halle Berry like I did, ask her for a phone. <laughs> ask her for a phone number. Don't let that thing go. She trying to holler at you, man. Get the phone number. <laughs> um, I know that's right. Yeah, buddy. Hey, hey, I appreciate yeah. that. This today I feel we all got to know someone that we didn't know at all or that we knew a little bit about but never to this degree so I thank all of you brothers for pouring into the ears and minds and lives of the listeners as well as myself like this was good I'm talking about good good this was tasty on all levels and for that, I'm truly grateful for you, Chuck. I'm grateful for you, Mikey D. I'm grateful for you, Willie. I'm grateful for you, Anthony. And cuz, Tommy, you know I'm grateful for you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for orchestrating this, yeah. Paul. You're welcome, man. As we get ready to leave this table, but not from each other, I'm sure there are listeners out there whose stomach you cannot be still hungry after this meal that we put together today. You cannot be still hungry. But I'm sure there's somebody who is still feeling unnourished. All I can tell you is this meal is complete and it was healthy on all levels. And I mean that. No leftovers whatsoever. So until the next time we break bread, let's keep this conversation going. As you bob and weave, trekking through traffic to pick up your boo, your woman, your family member, or even maybe, maybe you work in Uber, who knows? But even if you are at work amongst the water cooler 
on a break. But evoking a deeper and greater conversation is what this space is for. So to all of our listeners and followers, we thank you for tuning in. And you best believe the next meal, it's not just on me, it's on all of us. Thank you, brothers, for your time, your energy, your focus, and for your feedback today. Thank y'all, man. I love y'all yes, much, bro. Love y'all, man. Love, love, love back. Blessings and prosperity and strength, yeah. brother. Thank yeah. you, good, fellas. Talk to y'all later.